Welcome back. I'm your host, Julia Menezes, and you are listening to The Art of Change, an educational podcast devoted to understanding how change happens at individual, systems, and organizational levels. This podcast has been developed by the Office of Community Engagement at McMaster University. If you are a student listening to this podcast as part of the Art of Change course, welcome to week three. In today's episode, we're investigating what it takes to influence change in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. Specifically, we're looking at the Just Recovery Model, or Build Back Better, which is an idea that was adopted during the COVID-19 pandemic by community groups across Canada to help start discussions about the possibilities for more inclusive and just post-pandemic communities. Simply put, Just Recovery asks, what do we want our new normal to look like? In this episode, we will be asking questions like, how can the Just Recovery model be used to influence change? How have local movements been influenced by global change efforts during the pandemic? And what roles do data collection and budgeting play in change-making processes? Our focus is Just Recovery Hamilton a coalition of 11 community organizations that came together in late 2020 to advocate for an equitable recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. So far, they have created a policy document with urgent and continual recommendations for the city of Hamilton, like increasing the number of affordable daycare spots, implementing a universal sidewalk snow clearing program, and designating portions of city public lands for urban farming. In this episode, we're speaking with leaders from three of the community organizations involved in Just Recovery Hamilton. Kim Martin from the Social Planning and Research Council, Kojo Damti from the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion, and Linda Lukasik from Environment Hamilton. Before we get started, I'd like to point out a few acronyms that are used throughout this episode. First, SPRC refers to the Social Planning and Research Council. Also, HCCI is short for the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion. As we begin this episode, Kim, Kojo, and Linda will tell us more about how Just Recovery Hamilton got started. Thank you for having me here uh, today. My name is Kim Martin. I'm the Executive Director with the Social Planning and Research Council of Hamilton. And the Social Planning and Research Council conducts social research on issues that are important to the community and particularly focusing on issues that are related to poverty, housing, homelessness, healthy development of children and, and families, and equity and inclusion. And we have a number of programs that we offer in the community, including things like a student nutrition program, taste buds program, uh, community action program for children and others, um, as well as we develop social research. Hi. My name is Linda Lukasik. I'm a co-founder and I'm the executive director of Environment Hamilton and we're a not-for-profit environmental organization. We've been around in Hamilton for, this is our 20th year, which I can't believe it's been, been a long journey. And we have a mandate to provide Hamiltonians with knowledge and skills so that they can go out there and help us to protect and enhance the environment. And I think it's fair to say in more recent years, uh, we've really focused in much more on the climate emergency, climate resilience, and now more and more climate justice. So a focus on working to build 
a sustainable, climate-resilient, inclusive Hamilton. And for us, that's why it's become so much more important to learn from ally organizations like SPRC and HCCI through Just Recovery Hamilton. Uh, my name is Kojo Damte. I'm the executive director with the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion. Uh, the center started in 2001 after a hate crime here in Hamilton, after the September attacks in the United States. And so since then, the organization has been uh, working to address systemic racism, uh, discrimination, and other forms of prejudice. And our main kind of tenants uh, about doing that is through community engagement, anti-oppression, anti-racism, and involving youth as much as possible. So that's what Ascent has been doing since 2001. During the pandemic, HCCI, the Disability Justice Network of Ontario, a student group of McMaster called Student Mobilization, they were very involved in feeding people when people, we weren't allowed to go out, we had to stay in, everything was shut down. These were the organizations that were feeding people. And so coming out of that first, second wave, the, the discussions around the just recovery meant that we had to do things differently. Just recovery was being talked about across the country. And we wanted to say, well, there are basic tenants of a just recovery, but how do we localize the discussions of a just recovery here in Hamilton? Localizing discussions meant that community organizations in Hamilton needed to start working together. In episode two of this podcast, we spoke with Carl Andrus about the Community Benefits Network, which is currently conducting community engagement for Hamilton's light rail transit project. But at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, Hamilton's Community Benefits Network was working with organizations like HCCI to create the Just Recovery Hamilton Coalition. The Hamilton Community Benefits Network, HCCI, we said, look, the, the Hamilton Community Benefits Network already has a network that's doing work around community benefits. So why don't we use that same model to get other organizations together to start talking about what a just recovery would look like post-pandemic, whatever that means, right? HCCI and the Hamilton Community Benefits Network were successful in bringing a total of 11 community organizations together, including Environment Hamilton, the Disability Justice Network of Ontario, the Social Planning and Research Council, and others. As Kojo mentioned, the focus of the group's discussions centered around just recovery. But another important aspect was reimagining spending in Hamilton's municipal budget. One important aspect of this work was collecting and synthesizing data to ensure that the just recovery discussions were paired with a just recovery report that had concrete recommendations for the city of Hamilton. The Social Planning and Research Council took a leading role in this respect. So Social Planning and Research Council had done some research early on in the pandemic. We were really wanting to know how this was affecting Hamilton and came out with our first series of COVID publications to see what was happening in terms of the labor market and who was being most affected by COVID. And I think that for us was really, you know, the launching off 
place in terms of what is happening on the ground and what are we seeing and how do we basically marry what we're hearing in terms of people's experiences with also the data. And so we had published some of that research a little bit before the time that the coalition came together. And we were really wanting just to leverage that within the community. So people were understanding what the issues were. And I have to say as well, it really was a very unique opportunity that organizations were coming together like this and working together to produce a document, a policy document. The policy document is a 39-page report that was released in January of 2021. The report lists 152 policy, investment, or other recommendations for the city, organized into nine categories, such as investing in women, tackling systemic racism, and investing in green infrastructure. The scope of these recommendations is broad yet remarkably comprehensive, and as Kim explains, came out of a willingness for community organizations to work collaboratively. Certainly, I'm just really proud to be part of this network of committed organizations and leadership that wanted to put this forward and to work on this together. So while each of us may have had areas of our specific mandates for our organizations, we embraced all recommendations at all areas, regardless of whether we had a specific mandate to work in that particular field. And I think that was really one of the unique things about this collaborative that continues today is that we're really working outside of silos and breaking down those silos to work together and say that all of these issues impact upon each other and therefore need to be addressed together. The need to work across intersecting interests has been critical to the success of Just Recovery Hamilton and was an outcome that came directly from the intersecting challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. As Kojo explains, if community organizations were going to ask governments for change, then as community organizations, they also needed to be willing to change. During the pandemic, there was a big tagline, we are in this together. <laughs> and if we were to really exemplify or model that understanding of we are in this together, then that meant that we had to start doing things differently. And as Kim said, you know, in their research, they noticed that COVID was impacting racialized communities, low-income communities, neighborhoods that had high density. You know, Linda has talked about how the climate is also involved. So it was a time for us as organizations to look at ourselves individually and say, well, if we are going to do things differently, we can't continue working in silos. As Kim has said, we have to start changing how we address these issues. If we are asking governments also to change how they address the issues. So I think for us, that was the, the crystallizing moment of, hey, if we're going to be in this together, we need to change the way we address some of the issues that all our organizations are, are dealing with. I guess just to add to that, from our organization, you'd ask what are some of the issues that we push forward? And, and um, I would say certainly issues around housing has been you know, a central pillar for our organization and, and supporting other collaboratives within Hamilton in terms of the housing network. 
but also things like basic income and living wage, which are so important. And as many people were suddenly thrust out of employment into unemployment and some with or some without supports, those really were critical issues. Um, they, they all are critical issues and they're all interrelated, but certainly also things like paid sick days for staff. And what does it mean when you have a pandemic and yet people have no paid sick time to stay home? And what does it mean not only for their health and the health of their family, but the health of the community where people feel as though they need to go into work because they can't afford not to, even in terms of like disability justice. And what does it mean when we tell people to stay home and not go anywhere? What does it mean if they are a person living in a situation that's unsafe or where there's violence and how do people access resources? So all of these things just came bubbling to the surface with COVID really rapidly. They weren't issues that were new, but certainly the crisis, I just think, accelerated those issues for us. And so everything got altered, which impacted most those marginalized communities. And as Kojo said, people that are living on low income, people that are racialized, women dealing with childcare issues, children being home from school but not having d appropriate daycare facility for them. So everything just compounded, but everything was so interrelated that it's really difficult to, to separate them out because one issue would impact others as well. Dude, I was at a Fridays for Future global climate strike rally in front of City Hall recently, and the students and, and youth were chanting system change, not climate change. And I think that really embodies a lot of it for us. It's no surprise, I guess, that the, the system that is in place right now is so deeply flawed and, and systems that exploit the natural world are also systems that exploit people. And, and I don't think that's a shocking thing to say out loud. So for us, it's that realization that's the reality. And if anything, the, the pandemic and it quickly throwing us into crisis and human crisis in the way that um, Kojo and Kim have described to you. Um, also starts to amplify some of those other challenges too. And I'm going to be honest with you as an activist, watching how quickly government imposed changes like lockdowns and restrictions on what people could and couldn't do. I can tell you that they're not just me, but others in the environmental activist community were saying, hmm, you know, the pandemic, this kind of a crisis sure does bring swift action and change um, on this issue. And yet, and people start to describe it this way, we've got pandemic here, but cli the climate crisis is this massive tsunami looming in the wings. And how are we preparing for that? We've, we've basically seen, like our local government, they declared a climate emergency in 2019. And I can tell you, for the most part, they've pretty much put climate action on hold because of the pandemic. So we've been saying to them, you've got a pandemic proof the climate crisis because we know the pandemic is critical and we need to be responding and keeping people safe. And, and that's really important. But while we're doing all of that, the climate crisis is not stopped. So there are all these other impacts that are continuing to unfold and that are impacting all of us, usually the most marginalized and vulnerable in our community first and worst, and we're not continuing with the progress there. So I think coming together with the collective to talk about just recovery for Hamilton for us was a way to really connect the dots on the exploitation of the natural world and those links to exploitation of human communities in all of the problematic ways that we see here, but that of course happen sometimes in even more extreme ways in other parts of the world. So let's start to talk about that. And I think if I've learned anything, the really exciting 
part about this. It's that kind of turning a crisis into opportunity. And I don't mean for that to sound crass, but I think you can drag it either way, right? Sometimes people grab onto a crisis with an opportunity that takes us backwards. I'd argue it opens the door to progressive change too. And and it really feels like that's what we're all talking about. Viewing the crisis of a global pandemic as an opportunity for social, economic, and environmental change has been the driving force behind Just Recovery Hamilton. But what role do global issues, like a global pandemic, have in influencing local change? As Kojo explains, the local and the global are often profoundly connected. I think globalization has kind of localized global discussions, right? So whether it's systemic racism, whether it's discussions around indigenous issues, climate crisis, housing as a human right, these things cut across any continent, right? It's how you deal with it locally. If we are talking about Hamilton, let's take, for example, housing as a human right. Well, look, we have encampments across the city. It's not that the encampments just happened this year. There have been encampments before, but we never spent the time and efforts to address those issues, right? You take the city of Hamilton, when we're talking about priorities, housing is one priority, but the way in which we address housing is not done to center human beings. It's centered around capital, profit, the same capital and profit that destroys our environment, the same capital and profit that exploits women, the same capital and profit that doesn't pay fair wages, decent jobs, that doesn't invest in our local economy. So what we are trying to do is we're really trying to get to the point where we get to action and we're doing it by practicing what we have been saying for years and years and years. Kim and Linda will attest to all the stuff that has happened prior to us getting here. So right now, we really want to address change locally right now before it's too late. In terms of that relationship between the global and local, I, I also see that we are so much better connected today than we ever were. So when something does happen on a local scale, then it's getting covered not only in traditional media, but social media. And so that has really, I think, accelerated people's interest in issues that are affecting maybe cities that they're not even living in. So when I think about what that means in terms of what we've been experiencing through the coalition, it's really just brought those two together. Like I think that what is local is also global. So what's happening on a local basis with all of our issues around food um, insecurity is another example. That's not a new issue for us. We've been grappling with that for years, but with social media, we see it's not just happening in Hamilton. It's happening everywhere and it's happening across, across the globe. And so the solutions that we look to have to be solutions that will provide systemic change. It's not enough just to be providing food for people when they need it. We actually need a sy- systems in place so that people are paid enough so that they can afford to buy food. 
yeah, I guess I, I would just add, it feels like the, the global, they're, they're almost like these affirmations, right? Good or bad, that, that help us to know that, as, as Kim and Kojo have already said, these aren't issues that are unique to Hamilton, but you hear about this happening in communities around the world. Or you hear about things like the climate emergency and, and the information coming from entities like the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that are more and more dire, where that global level messaging around things are dire, things are urgent, really helps us locally. I, sometimes it's tricky, right? Because you're harnessing those dire messages to try to make positive change within the local context is sometimes a really difficult thing to do. But I think that's where coming together collectively and building a vision for a better future and helping people to see that it's all connected, that there is that fundamental right for people to have safe, healthy housing. That's also housing that is climate resilient housing as we move forward, because that enhances affordability and comfort for people in our community, whether it's incredibly hot or incredibly cold out. Creating a collective vision starts with aligning interests. Not only the interests of community organizations like HCCI, the SPRC, and Environment Hamilton, but also the interests of groups like government. As Kim explains, a successful coalition is not simply a space to critique what's not working. It's also a space to celebrate what is. Community organizations are really vital to creating change. I think even more so as we work together as a large coalition and that coalition keeps building. So I think that one of the things certainly has happened is while we've been working together, we have been advocating with and sharing our information really with the city of Hamilton and also provincially and looking at what more can be done to be able to assist and make these systems better and, and different. And I think the rapid response that we saw with, with the, the pandemic in terms of things like rolling out CERB are really incredible. And I think that we really need to give credit to where credit is due is that those systems were rolled out in very short amount of time and with very little bureaucracy. And I think that's one of the lessons learned here is when you think about the kind of policing that we do have in some of our systems, including social assistance systems and the amount of resources that we spend policing some of these modes of assistance, we were able to accomplish what we needed to and get people the resources they needed without a lot of that bureaucracy and without a lot of, and, and with almost zero of the policing as well. And I think it speaks to that narrative too, in terms of people that need assistance, they, they need assistance and it needs to be provided. And I think there's always been this threat that, well, some people might be getting away with cheating the system or, or some people might get a little bit more than what they really should. And, and I think that's what actually keeps us in an old state. So when we look at building back better, I think that we can look at and challenge those assumptions and make our systems work more efficiently and more effectively. And in doing so, there will actually be more cost-effective for us. So we will spend less on the administration piece if we look at how we're doing that and look at the success that we actually have had. So it's certainly something for us in terms of moving forward. How will we ensure that people's needs are being met? And for many people, getting something like the CERB was what kept them afloat. It's what did keep some people housed and prevented some people from losing their housing. People did 
of course, lose their housing in the process. But having those supports and having those, those a basic level of existence is something that I think was acknowledged by the government in this process, that people do need a certain amount of money to live. And I think from that premise, we can go forward and we can talk more about basic income. So what would it mean for us to have a basic income that we agree that people need a certain amount just to, to live and to live well and to live in dignity? And what should that and what should that be? So I think now that we've crossed that threshold, it's for us to take it further and to ensure that this isn't just a pandemic response, but that this is a human rights response. And this is the response that all of us as caretakers of this land and of each other, that we have a responsibility to fulfill. Yeah, I've been reflecting a lot on government response rates. And, and seeing how quickly things can happen when government puts their mind to it. I, I just finished not long ago reading a, a book written by Seth Klein called A Good War. And, and Klein looks at you know, how Canada could be responding to the climate emergency. And he reflects back on World War II and how people came together and really rolled up their sleeves to, to fight that. I mean, it was a war. But he reframes it as there are lots of lessons to be learned about how quickly that happened and how deeply and profoundly it changed and turned things almost on a dime in terms of what was happening right across our country, right down to the level of manufacturing and manufacturers retooling their, their factories to produce what needed to be produced. And so he looks at, you know, if we were doing this to fight the climate crisis, what could we be achieving? We could solve the issues. And so I can't help but imagine, and I know Klein would certainly support all of us in Just Recovery Hamilton with that vision of retooling the economy so that we're not just addressing the climate emergency, we're talking about climate justice. And, and that rolls out all of these issues that we've been talking to you about today. You know, how do we transition to a world where in cities like Hamilton, people's basic needs are being met, whether it's basic income, food security, safe and healthy housing. And on top of that, we've shifted to an economy where good green jobs are the focus and we've seen just transition happen and more working opportunities for people to help to, you know, transition old buildings so that they're retrofitted to be climate resilient, like the list goes on and on. So I can't help but think about that vision and the fact that government is capable at all levels of, of shifting quickly in very profound ways. But at the same time, I'm going to be honest with you and say, you know, I live out in the, in the far east end of the city, almost in Stony Creek, near Eastgate Square. And in the mornings these days, if I have my windows open and the wind's blowing the right way, I can hear the roar from the Queen Elizabeth Way. And part of me, it makes me anxious because it's getting, the roar kind of died down when we were all in lockdown, but it's building up again. So it feels like, I, I guess I had it stuck in my head that we'd get out of the pandemic and we'd shift back to, to something, but it would be a quick sort of thing. But it's this gradual... We're, we're heading back, right? We're sliding back into how things were before. So it's that feeling of, I, I hope this important opportunity isn't slipping away. To ensure that this opportunity isn't slipping, Just Recovery Hamilton is currently working on an alternative budget for the city of Hamilton to be presented during Public Delegation Day. This is where citizens and community organizations have the opportunity to speak to elected officials about what they think the city should be prioritizing. By creating an alternative budget, Just Recovery Hamilton will be providing the city with concrete ways to reallocate funds 
and support a just recovery. It's a huge undertaking that could start an important conversation in the city, but for community organizations, the primary challenge remains finding the time to continue advocacy efforts. I, I guess the challenge we have is, is it fair to say, not enough hours in the day? <laughs> you know, it's like, because here we are already at the start of another budget process, and I was thinking, how the heck did that happen? Like, time-wise, and, and there are all these important issues. And I guess the struggle for us is, as not-for-profits is jumping in and, and finding the time for the important conversations and pushing the change. So I'm going to stop there, but I guess those are just all, all kinds of things that are running through my brain these days. It's great that Linda mentioned the, the budget. And what I wanted to say was that, you know, I heard this statement once and it stuck with me since then. Governments are good at managing problems, not solving problems. And I think it's a profound statement that allows for us to figure out how we get governments to solve our problems. And so when we talk about the rapid response, that was the government trying to manage a problem. And that's why they were able to respond quickly. So what does that mean for just recovery and other movements that are trying to get governments to solve issues? It's not going to be easy. It's always going to be difficult. But at the same time, if we don't do this, We've seen what COVID can do to a whole society. There's another saying that says, you know, show me your budget now and I can tell you your priorities, right? So if we look at the 2022 outlook for the city of Hamilton's budget, the city of Hamilton police is going to get a 5.2 increase. And I, I won't belabor the point about Hamilton police too much. Uh, what I will say is that last year, Councillor Narendra Nan put forward a motion that said, if there are any police surpluses, we should reinvest that money into a community fund that allows for us to use that money to address housing, mental health issues, and other, other issues. And that was defeated by majority of council. And yet we are increasing the police and this is not an anti-police message. This is just, uh, look, if we're going to send police in to remove people from encampments, but increase their budget, why can't we increase housing initiatives to ensure that police are not removing people from encampments or that they have housing, right? It's common sense. I don't think you need a PhD to know that in that case, we're doing, we're, we're, we're spending money properly and we're investing in human-centered ways of taking care of people. So I think the budget tells you what a municipality or province or federal government prioritizes. I agree with everything that uh, both Linda and Coach have said, so I'm not sure what to add except that I think it's important that people in our community that are living in this community have a say and that the budget process is something that should be collaborative. I think we need to maybe accept that it's the community stakeholders that set the priorities for the community. And so sometimes I think we, we look at it the other way around. So as community individuals, we elect people in our municipal government to act on our behalf and to make decisions on our behalf and we put them in those places. And so we need to, it's our responsibility to let them know that what our priorities are so that when they are there, they can be good stewards of those resources. 
And I think the only way we do that is by getting involved and, and by letting them know what our priorities are and what's most important to us and what we're willing to do about that in terms of where we put our votes. And I think that's really where a lot of our power as citizens is in a democratic society. So one of the benefits of a coalition, I find, is that whereas all of our organizations are very familiar with doing delegations to council, and we often do that collaboratively and have side conversations around that to organize those things. But doing it as a coalition also lends itself to having a little more influence as well. And so one of our goals certainly is to expand this coalition so that we have more and more stakeholders, not just organizations, but citizens that have similar priorities and want to see the same issues addressed in terms of what a just recovery means, which really means not to leave people behind. A just recovery means that everyone will have a life that they're able to live in dignity and to have the resources that, that they need afforded to them and the opportunities that they need to participate fully in our society. And again, part of that is to be able to look at budget process and to say, these are our priorities as citizens. And these are the, these are the priorities that, that we would like our elected officials to take on and, and to make changes and to continue to evaluate because as things change, and as our community changes, and as we have changes in terms of the climate crisis, then our priorities in terms of our budget also need to change. And we can't rely on what worked 15 or 20 years ago in terms of those priorities. We have to be current and we have to look at the data that's available to us to make those decisions in that budgeting process. So part of what we can bring to that process is to share that information with our elected officials in terms of what we are all seeing in terms of our organizations for organizations that are working frontline like the YWCA and Sasha and HCCI, like they are seeing frontline work. Um, Environment Hamilton and SPRC are often also doing elements of research. And so what are we finding with that? So I think as we pull all of that together, that really creates a pool of important data, including lived experience data for us to move forward, to establish where we go as a city and, and how we will support our citizens. We have one minute left, which means it's time for a recap. In this episode, we investigated what it takes to influence change in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. We spoke with Kim Martin of the Social Planning and Research Council, Kojo Damti of the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion, and Linda Lukasik of Environment Hamilton about their work with Just Recovery Hamilton. We learned about the importance of community groups working together and the connection between global movements and local advocacy efforts. We also heard about the importance of data collection and budgeting in change-making processes. Join us next week for episode four of this series where we will be discussing public space and the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Art of Change. For more information about this podcast or The Art of Change course, please visit community.mcmaster.ca.